All right. Another episode of Breaking Changes. I'm pretty excited. I've got my friend Alan Helton today from Tyler Technologies here. He is someone who's continually caught my attention in the space because when you're really busy doing things, um, you know, in your work or, or events, other things going on, it's hard to keep up with what's going on. And so when people are building interesting things that float up on my radar regularly, I start to take notice. And Alan is one of those people who just continually building really cool tools that that kind of, you know, blow my mind as far as what's possible when it comes to APIs as well as Postman. So thanks for being with me today, Alan. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Ken. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you so much. So you work with Tyler Technologies. Tell us a little bit about what Tyler Technologies does and, and what you do there. Absolutely. So Tyler Technologies is a company that focuses on empowering people in the public sector. We build software from everything from schools, appraisal and tax, government. We deal with local, state, federal government. Uh, anything that you can imagine that you have done uh, in or around government, Tyler makes software for. If you've ever gotten a ticket, so if a cop's ever pulled you over and uh, written a ticket, it's probably from Tyler Software. Uh, we're we're one of the we are the biggest public sector software company in the world, and uh, we we only focus on the public and empowering the government. Yeah, I I first came across what what you you all are doing as part of my work in government. So I do uh, work occasionally with with state and and county. Uh, in municipal governments, but I also work a lot in DC and your, your fingerprints are all over everything. No matter what agency, pretty much every state that I've touched, there's some fingerprints from Tyler Tech on what's going on. Uh, CSV downloads, anything that I've, I've played with. So how long have you guys, how long has Tyler Tech been doing this? So Tyler's been in the space for a very long time. We've been more than 50 years. Uh, I probably should have done my homework and told you exactly what year it was, but it's, uh, it's been a, a very long time. Uh, we, we started as a company called Software Group and started building and acquiring uh, the company, uh, building the company, acquiring other companies, and, and growing more and more and more over the years. Uh, so we, we've been so, around for a very, very long time. So are you guys doing just building technology platforms or do you get, do you offer services and and other things that kind of go go along with that well it, it really depends on what you mean because uh, we do offer platforms we offer uh, software uh, we offer SaaS offerings on our software so we do host uh, host our software for clients if they want us to to take that on uh, primarily I, I personally deal with the courts and justice division and that's really a lot of where my uh, my domain is, and uh, we do we do both on prem and SaaS and, and hosted installs. Uh, we offer services like professional services, you know, to get you up and running, and started. Uh, we offer client success, so after you're live, you know, let's let's keep you successful in the yeah. long run. Yeah, I think that's kind of that's where I was getting at. Is so do do they know what APIs are generally when you talk to? Uh... Uh, these customers? It definitely depends on the group. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes and no. Uh, 
you know, I, I've dealt with everybody uh, on the client side, you know, ranging from end users to the administrators to the IT staff. Uh, and of course, depending on the group of people that you're talking with, APIs do or don't make sense. IT staff pretty much always knows uh, knows what an API is. Uh, they, I don't know the exact saying, but they, they say that government lags behind a few years uh, in, in tech, just in general. And not really wrong. Uh, we've actually been seeing a, quite a bit of acceleration toward things like the cloud and modern web practices in the past couple of years. And Tyler being really a, for, a forerunner in, in pushing that and driving that and providing easy accessibility into modern cloud-based software. Um, so we've actually been taking the opportunity as we build the software to educate our customers as well. Here's what uh, API is. Here's a, a JSON payload as opposed to an XML standardized uh, request response. So uh, in answer to your question, yes, they do know what APIs are um, to a degree. And we're taking the opportunity to, to say, okay, well, here's all the very cool things that you can do. And here's how we can connect you with these other systems and how you can connect with ours if you want to extend uh, the functionality that we do with something custom. Yeah, and I my experience in working in government is is they're usually about 10 or 15 years behind. But I would say in the last, I don't know, five to eight years, I would I would say that that gap is closing. I think it would be I would put it at five to ten, depending on the agency that I'm talking to, state, you know, federal level. And I think it's probably due to to you know those types of services that you offer is is people are just getting more aware and understanding what's going on. Um, before we dive into what what uh, what you you deliver and and what you do, how long have you how long have you personally been working at Tyler Tech? I started at Tyler my last month of college uh, back in, in 2012. And I'll tell you what, that was the hardest month of college uh, for me ever because I already had the job prior to the degree. So it was very hard to have that motivation <laughs> through the finish line. Uh, so uh, nine years, I've been, I've been with the company for nine years, been in the tech sector for for that amount of time. Wow, nice. So you're, what, what's your degree and are you classically trained in programming? I am. I have a software engineering degree from the University of Texas at Dallas. So, so how how is has your your view changed being a programmer since you since you left left the university and actually got your hands you know on things? I mean, do you feel different as a programmer? How, how are things shifted for you? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> night and day different. I always make a joke that when I started at Tyler, I couldn't have felt less prepared for a professional programming job. I knew all the theory, but when they asked me to implement it, I was like freezing up. I was terrified to make my first commit. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't know how uh, the uh, delivery mechanism was. So I thought as soon as I committed a change, it was going to affect all of our customers uh, without going through a, a pull request or anything. It's horrified. And, and back then, uh, I was really focused on doing the task in front of me, uh, really just solving that problem, not necessarily in the fastest way, not necessarily in the correct way, because I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, 
and I, uh, you know, just kind of grew over the past few years or over the beginning of my career to understand a little bit more about what programming was about. Okay. This is what performance is. Okay. This is what it means to do it the right way. This is why we do things the way we do. Uh, I learned what maintaining code was once I started having to do it and, uh, you know, paying, uh, paying the price for defects that I introduced say, okay, I guess that makes sense. I need to think about the big picture instead of my tight and narrow focus. Uh, and a couple of years ago uh, in 2019, I was given uh, an opportunity to become a manager of uh, cloud native teams uh, at Tyler. And that kind of shifted everything for me. The paradigm that I knew it in software was out the window, went from, monolithic, uh, annual deployment kind of thing to CICD, microservices, uh, REST-based APIs, uh, totally different tech stack. We use serverless a lot. Uh, very, very different mindset when it comes to, to that. Uh, and then even down to the program language, I just threw out, we have, had been programming in C-sharp switched over to JavaScript. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to go back. I love typeless coding. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of, I would say the past two years, I have grown infinitely more than the first seven of my career. And that's because I've had the exposure to things like Postman, exposure to the active AWS community, exposure to open source uh, just kind of opened my eyes. It was it's been there the whole time, but I kind of uh, took a step back, looked around. What are other people doing? What can I do to help Tyler become a real player? Really, how do we become a, a front runner in moving into the cloud and building uh, legitimate software that's modern, that feels good, that's fast, that scales, it's highly reliable, things like that. Uh, it's been a do you feel quite a journey? Do you feel like that's like API enablement right there? I mean, do you feel like you know? I mean, it's not just the technology of APIs that is enabling Tyler Tech and then your government customers to evolve, but it feels like your focus, your career, and and your ability to kind of engage with the community and learn and grow is also accelerated because of APIs. Absolutely, they're, they're everything. <laughs> everything. And even within this past uh, couple of years in my pivotal part of my career, I, at the beginning, got all protective and felt really strongly about the tech stack that you use to build APIs. It's like my way, it's my way or the highway. And I've come to realize it really doesn't matter. If I'm, if I'm providing consistent APIs with good documentation that perform the set that are consistently performing, that scale well, that people can understand and they're intuitive, then why do I care what it's written in? I don't care. You use what's best for you that you can write the highest quality code, and reliable code, as long as you're providing me something that's consistent and providing a wholesome, unified experience. Huh, interesting. So it feels like, I mean, it feels like you embracing the interface and API way of doing things it's kind of freed you from that dogma of the, the programming languages and infrastructure that I don't think we always realize holds us back as much as it does when we're 
latched on to a certain way of doing things, a certain language. And, and it's often many of us are back end coders, programmers, and it kind of keeps us isolated. So it feels like, like going API and then focusing on the interface and, and specifically external and partner APIs. Um, I mean, or at least being part of a cloud community, you're, uh, you're able to evolve faster and change and kind of, kind of think differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The Tyler so is, much- a, is a really big, uh, Tyler's really big company. Go ahead. And we have a bunch of, a bunch of different branches and we offer things that all play with each other. They, they interact with each other. And by creating APIs that are consistent across all the branches, we can actually provide that feeling of, yeah, this is one company. You know, it's not just this is this branch or this is that branch. It might be written in entirely different tech stacks, but if we've provided a way to make the APIs look, feel, and act the same, then we can provide a better user experience for all of our customers. So, so let's talk about. I mean, how do you do that? How do you how do you get teams in alignment when it comes to the design of the API so they look and feel the same no matter where they're being built? That's hard. I'll be honest with you. That 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 is very hard. Uh, I started with a, a self reflection. Uh, we had uh, just gotten into microservices, just on my team. I started with my team. We had just started with microservices. I think we had about eight at the time, and I was building some uh, test suites in Postman, and I was. Re- typing out the URLs and they were all inconsistent. The, the request bodies were different. Uh, the expected responses were different. Uh, you know, we were consistent with the status codes that were being returned at the very least that, but I started looking at it and I was like, this is really disconnected and disjointed. And it, it didn't feel like it was from the same application at all. Right. We have a bunch of different microservices that they compose up a single application and it just didn't feel right. Uh, so what what I did was I created essentially a, a governance collection in Postman. I watched uh, your webinar on API governance and it really sparked an idea uh, in my mind that you know you can reflect back from Postman and look at the stuff that you have in Postman using the, the API. And I thought, well, if I can do that, I can write some JavaScript that goes through and analyzes the endpoints, the request bodies, the response bodies. And I can start putting governance around it. Again, mostly stolen from you, uh, the idea. Um, And so I took that and I ran with it a little bit. Um, I, I took your collection that you had created as basis and created something and put it in our CI CD pipeline where it just started putting in these requirements, these governance things that says, uh, you know, every property on uh, defined in an open API spec has to have a description and an example. And the description can't be, you know, shorter than this or longer than this. Uh, And the example has to be meaningful. And, uh, you know, you have your standards around what paths are, like with the, how to build a path standards around response codes and the, uh, normalizing of the types of responses that you can provide and just made the build start failing uh, if the APIs didn't adhere to that. 
And that's, that's the part that was really hard because we had this really high velocity on the team, churning stuff out. And, you know, work goes really quickly when you work in serverless. And it, we just came to a grinding halt for like a week because the build failed on everything. And we were trying to scramble and figure out, it's like, well, what do we do? How do we do this? So we started uh, paying specific attention and looking uh, at the open API specs and just had to adjust. We had to make an adjustment to say, this this is the way that it needs to be because once we get to a place where the builds work again, everything's going to be consistent. You know, we had to go and update the code. We had to update our Postman test suites because routes changed and uh, the, the shape of the data that we were passing in um, changed. Luckily, we weren't in production, so it was okay to make those breaking changes. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, you you get really- you get bonus points for mentioning breaking changes on the show. <laughs> like you you just you won the jackpot there. Yes. Okay. Good. I'm glad you caught it. Um, I don't really recommend that way uh, at this point because that that was a lot. That was a lot. Luckily, yeah. we weren't in production. If you are in production, definitely don't do that. Uh, but the the kind of the key key phrase is, is just start and start small, right? We started with my team, and now. Uh, I'm on the integration governance board at Tyler. I'm bringing what we did up to there. And we say, how do we mature as a company to get to this point? Because we went, we went extreme. We went nothing to fail builds if it's not that way. Uh, well, I, so you step up. Yeah. So, I mean, I probably should finish that series because uh, that governance series, because I had a whole next part about, uh, how you run those manually first. You don't put them into the pipelines. You, there's an education process. And then I got derailed uh, because of uh, Postman Galaxy. So I didn't actually do the second part. I apologize. <laughs> uh, it hurts to hear that now. I lived and learned. I lived and learned. Yeah, no, I mean, that's powerful. So I'm, I'm impressed that your team... Um, kind of rolled up their sleeves and, and did that with you, you know, that, I mean, were they just pretty gung ho to try to raise the bar and raise the quality of your code and, and your design patterns within that time frame to get there? We, yeah, I have a really good team. I have a really strong team. And one of the things that I like most about everybody on my team is that they really have a strong desire to learn and they're always in a learning mode and take every opportunity, uh, every detriment, every situation where the bill breaks to learn and improve and doing it this way was the, the team loved it, right? They obviously don't like the rework and say, well, it worked before now it doesn't work. Uh, but they, they took the opportunity to make themselves better uh, and feel like we as a team have built best practices. We've set standards. We we've paved the way for other teams to follow suit for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's powerful. I would love to uh, keep working with you and get, and getting feedback on, on this approach, because it's, I would say the, the ability to use a collection in, in that way in the pipeline, because you can manually run it. And because it has documentation in there, there's, um, when there's a modularity to it. So I I would love to learn how you guys, you know, kept applying it and changing the rules because it, it was, purposeful in that I wanted to teach people to fish when I, when I built this, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to create this governance solution and it's just going to fix all your problems. I want to teach you this approach 
and you run you ran with it in such an amazing way i mean that's one of the reasons you caught my attention what you're building with it um went went beyond what i imagined so i would love to keep you know trying to to learn more from that but i want to i want to go a little bit into the serverless part because i know a lot of companies are considering serverless and and wanting to understand how it can impact their business and 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 make changes and then i've seen companies like you that have just gone all in and just radical transformations because of it. So can you speak to a little bit what, like what is serverless enabled when it comes to your, your API development? A lot. It, and really what it, what it actually enables, if, if I had to boil it down to one thing, it enables us to only focus on solving the business problem, which, it, which, you know, any seasoned software engineer, We'll hear that and then be like, that doesn't know. You have to worry about servers manually updating, uh, you know, the machines and what happens when things get out of whack. Uh, nope. The, the, the cloud provider takes care of that, which is awesome. Uh, you know, we, we write the most performant code that we can. That's, that's one of the changes in uh, developer mindset when you switch to serverless is it's pay for what you use. So you better make it as fast as possible because if it's slow for no reason, or just because you know something uh, isn't written well, then you're paying more. You're paying a premium for that. Uh, it, it really helps you focus as a developer on what is the best way to write code. You solve a business problem and you solve it better. And then you continue to solve it better and refine and, and not have to worry about things like scaling. Uh, you know, we use uh, we use AWS and with Lambda functions, they they scale. Automatically, they have, uh, I think it's five nines of availability. That's never down. And we don't have to worry about that. And if it does go down, then AWS is dealing with it. And that's not something mm-hmm. that I have to get a phone call at three in the morning when, when the site's down because it just doesn't do that. I have to deal with ongoing maintenance of servers. I don't have to deal with uh, networking. It all just kind of plugs and plays all together. Uh, and really, we get to focus on what is the best way to do something for the customer. And it's and very modular. It's very modular, too. I mean, you get to do one thing and 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 focus on just that atomic business unit, right? Yes. And one of the things that I really like about that, I'm a big fan of the single responsibility principle anyway. Uh, you know, your code shouldn't be spaghetti code where you, know, you see some, you change something over here and all the way over there, uh, you know, something flips a switch. But what I really like about it the most is because we have single responsibility principle, we also get a really tight lock on security because uh, we deal with, we obviously deal with government data and there's a, you know, there's zero slip room on that. Uh, we cannot let anything out on accident. So what serverless provides us is the ability to say, okay, this one function, this one API endpoint only has the ability to uh, load a single item from this one uh, one table uh, at a time. It can't delete. It can't update. It can't query. It can do just this one thing. It can't talk to any other services, so there's no injection attempts. Uh, and really helps us keep everything locked down, which as a government shop, that's a, that's a big deal. 
Yeah, and I, I'm guessing that really helps with legacy, like whatever's on the back end, you can create this new kind of atomic policy based, really, you know, do one thing and do it well, uh, API that that allows you to evolve legacy code forward a lot faster. Absolutely. And what's also cool about it is you can use whatever language you want for whatever endpoints you want. You know, I, I've already said that I use JavaScript a lot. That's that's what we use 99% of the time. But I was building a, an endpoint interface with a government agency the other day. And I pretty much, for reasons I'm not going to say, I had to use C Sharp. And that was okay. I built one Lambda function in C Sharp, was able to communicate uh, and put it in the same API that it was running 10 other JavaScript endpoints. Yeah. It didn't have a hiccup. Everything worked fine. It was okay. I didn't have to build another repository, build another web service. I just said, okay, this is the route to this one. Please work. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a Node.js is my preference, but doing uh, working in scientific circles and others, I have to dive into Python quite a bit and it's a pretty easy, easy switch to, to do that in lamp in, in a serverless and, and AWS Lambda environment. So, so moving forward now on the front of that, I'm, I'm assuming you're using AWS gateway as, as a front end for, for your lambdas. Yep. Yep. Nice. We and, use, and then, uh, Oh, go ahead. We use pretty much every flavor of, of API gateway. Uh, we use the rest API gateway. We use the newer HTTP, uh, and then, uh, as of recently, we also use the, the WebSocket API as well. That's that's yeah. been a fun one. I think we we were talking about that on, on Twitter the other day. Yes, uh, yes. Track were, tracking on you closely with our roadmap. It <laughs> uh, was like, oh, looks like Alan's going to need some WebSockets. We better get that into the into the platform. And uh, so, yeah, you're driving the roadmap, sir. Yes, that that was actually really that was really cool for me to to see our our first WebSocket work. And also test a new a new feature to uh, to Postman at the same time because you know, I try to I really try to use like every feature that you guys push out uh, as far as Postman goes it all just works which is super nice. So what's the reason behind WebSockets? What's what's driven that? Where where do you make the decision between a, a REST HTTP or or WebSockets? That's a good question. Uh, I'm very much of the mentality that software should be iterated on. And I, I kind of go on a three-phase model. Do it, do it right, and do it better. And, uh, you know, do it down and dirty, prototype. Let, let's prove it. You know, prove, proof of concept, maybe a little bit nicer because you shouldn't use proof of concepts in production. Uh, but just make it work. And uh, do it right is, okay, let's, uh, let's do it the way we should have done it. Right now that we understand that it works, uh, let's let's do it to, to best practices, the standards, and uh, do it better is polish. Let's make it faster. Let's let's make it work uh, work better. And part of that, uh, it, for for me, my point of view is in the user interface when you have an async operation. Right, it's a really bad experience to hit a refresh button over and over to see if it's done. And uh, the do a better phase, or right, the do it or the do it right phase has the refresh button. Um, do it better is let's let's refresh it automatically when it's done. Let let's put a little uh, badge up in your notifications bar that says you have a notification or something's done. Let's refresh a section of the screen 
automatically. And that's what WebSockets do for you, right? It's, it's pushing from the server down to the client. So uh, what we're doing is we're just trying to enhance the user experience a little bit better to say this async op is done and you can continue on with your married day. Hopefully you weren't waiting for me, but if you were, go ahead. Yeah, that's a, uh, I would say that that level of polish really, um, it's a better user experience, but you know, it's interesting that that experience is driving your backend architectural decisions. And I think it's a, it's a sign of maturity. I see in a lot of operations is, is you start with rest simple. Let's get our resources. Let's get these used. Let's, let's accomplish this, this business objective. And as that matures and evolves and, and the experience, uh, evolves around that, then you're looking at event driven and, and asynchronous connections and, and other things like that. So that makes a lot of sense. A lot of folks are just trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, between those. And it feels like it's a natural, for me, it's a natural maturity and you guys are just kind of on that journey, you know, making it, making it good and better as, as you progress. So yeah. as far as quality is concerned, when it, it, as part of this, so it sounds like you're testing every individual API um, and, and you rolled in governance as part of that. Talk to me a little bit about how, how you test each API. Yeah. So uh, I'm really excited to talk about this. The, okay. The governance thing that, that I told you we, we shoved into the build that I built primarily off of uh, your collection from a webinar that you did like a year ago, uh, I enhanced it a little bit. I didn't leave it at, at governance. Uh, what I did was I had it automatically generate uh, test requests and uh, really do exhaustive fuzzy tests on every endpoint. Because one of the governance rules that we had was every uh, every request that's a post or a put or whatever uh, has to have every parameter, every field in the body defined. And with an example, I was able to write some JavaScripts in Postman to say, okay, well, if these are the examples, let me just take those, generate request bodies from there based on every endpoint that I see in the spec fuzzy test. What happens if I don't include this required field? What if I pass it in blank? What if I don't pass these in? Uh, if you have a one of uh, in there, let me pass every iteration of that. And Postman does it all. It, it does it all automatically. So like if we have a, a, a standard API that has maybe 20 endpoints in it and uh, maybe the, the request bodies have a few mutations each. The, the automation that we have around there will run a thousand tests against it. It'll, it'll go and it'll actually hit the implementation of our API on the builds with all of these mutations of these requests. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't do what it was supposed to do, it'll fail. So an example of how it knows what to do is supposed to do. Like if we don't pass in uh, a required field, we, we reasonably expect we should get a 400 bet, right? That's shame on you, client side. That's a, that's a client side error. And if we don't get a 400 back, well, that's a fail because we passed it. We didn't pass in a required program. Um, if we ever get back a 500, eh, can't do that. We should never be returning 500s, right? There's, there's a defect in the code. Uh, somewhere like that. And then we also, one of the coolest things that 
that this does is it actually uses AJV to validate the response bodies. So uh, if I do if I do a post, I can then subsequently in the automated test do a get on that object that I just created. And if the data isn't in the same shape or comes back with a, a different data type, AJV will catch it and say, no, no, you said it wasn't, you said it wasn't going to be that way, but it is. And, and it'll fail. It just does these exhaustive tests every time automatically in the build, which has provided so you, unbelievable value. Yeah. I mean, so you've, I mean, you've merged kind of what usually are fairly separate things, contract tests, security testing, governance. I think people who aren't this far along in their API journey see those as very separate things. And oftentimes governance is a, isn't even on the radar. Uh, security is kind of an after the fact, but you've kind of baked all this in. And then I would say taking it to another level, I'm, I'm really impressed with you being able to watch that webinar and understanding the the generation of collections because that that dynamic creation of collections um you know i don't know why well, there was there's there's quite a few folks who didn't you know watch those webinars and didn't and didn't see that potential but then you just really latched onto it so you're pulling a collection that defines your api and generate you have a collection that pulls that collection and generates from that, or are you using an open API as part of that? It's just the open API spec. It's a collection okay. in Postman that uses the Postman API to load an open API spec and then generate all these tests just from the spec. And your it's examples are in the, your examples yeah. are in the open API. So you so you have a, a contract, you know, to elevate this back up to the business level is you have an open API contract for each of your APIs that describes the entire surface area and has examples. And then you're pulling that using a collection from the Postman API. This is the inception part that I think some people stumble on. And then you're dynamically generating your tests as from that description. Yes, and I, honestly, I did this for selfish reasons at the beginning. I mentioned earlier, I'm a manager. So my job day to day is making sure that my team gets their work done. And one of the things that I was noticing day after day after day in our standups was the code's done. I'm just working on the, the postman tests. I'm working on the contract tests uh, and the security tests. And it got to a point where we were being really thorough, uh, at least we thought we were, and it was taking longer to write, to write those than it was to actually write the code. And after I saw your webinar, I was like, okay, I think I could actually automate this. I think I could get us back a lot of time and uh, tried it out. And I did. I, I got us back days, a week uh, across the team, if you sum it all up. It was significant. Yeah, I think that, that really touches on the 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 business focus of of this show i would say is is bubbling things up to like why do apis matter at the business level and that really focuses on the uh productivity but also quality and governance all kind of fit into the same kind of package is you're able to make your teams more optimized well and because of the contract i would say like for me like i don't know i use this phrase a lot i 
quote Donald Rumsfeld's, you know, the known knowns, known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. And when you're working every day, like I, uh, I know a lot about API design, but it's not always right there. And I don't remember to implement this header or this little detail. When I'm writing tests, you don't always think about every possible scenario. Your, your head's just not there. Maybe you're thinking about going to lunch. You got that, you know, soccer practice later with your kids. You know, there's something and having this open API contract gives you this kind of no known. And then it, because of the automation you did, it kind of starts allowing you to probe and understand the the known unknowns and even some of the unknown unknowns as far as what what you know taking a parameter and seeing if you remove it you know things that that you probably wouldn't think about and so that that for me is is taking security to the next level because i try to articulate how open api helps with security in this way and people are like well we fuzz and we scan with it but it's really that that probing of the surface area and and understanding what's and narrowing it down back to that it, this should do one thing and it should do it well and it shouldn't do any of these other unknown unknowns or known unknowns and it really kind of takes things to another level. So, I mean, you went that dynamic cl- test collection uh, generation, like uh, you you went above and beyond what I did because I was definitely trying. I was just trying to show, hey, layering governance as part of your existing test because I think that my my webinar was like, oh, here's how you do contract testing. Here's how you do performance testing. And oh, by the way, you can use the same infrastructure to do governance testing. But I wasn't dynamically generating anything. So kudos on that. I'm impressed. Yeah. If you start, if you start from the governance point, then you can assume there's going to be a lot of things there that you can use to key off this generation stuff. Right. If if the if the governance is already in place, you can assume there's going to be an example everywhere. You can assume that things are uh, that things are actually required right? That should be required. I'm putting in the required fields that should be required instead of making everything optional. Um, so it, it sets you up really nice. So if you start first with governance, even as, as hard as that sounds, you enable yourself a lot, uh, you know, down the road. And so, so you, you're baking this into the pipeline. So this, this becomes a part of, of everything that goes out the door. And then you mentioned, you're now part of a, a company-wide group trying to, 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 to bring it up to the same level? Yep, yep. So it started small, proved that it worked, mm-hmm. and then uh, joined a, a board at, at the company level, um, up at corporate, that says, how, how do we do it? How do we make consistent APIs across the company to make it feel like everything is coming from one company instead of a bunch of different teams? Mm-hmm. And so I... Showed them what I'm doing. Showed them how how we do things. Other people showed how they do things. I can get ideas. I got a lot of ideas actually on how to modify what I'm doing. Uh, we're just taking that in stride. We, you know, combined a bunch of different ideas from a bunch of different uh, people on the board, and say that that is what we want everyone to get to. How do we get there? We start building a maturity model to say step by step by step. This is how you get from where you are today to where we want you to be in you know two years, three years. Yeah. No, that's powerful. Cause that, I mean, again, you took the, the, 
uh, learn to fish aspect of this uh, to another level where you 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 guys learned how to do it and learned how to use it. And then now you're elevating to the organizational level, showing others how to use it. They're bringing your bringing their, what they learn and what they know and, and their practices. And then you're standardizing that across the company and then codifying it into the pipeline so that everything goes out the door meets these uh, this this consistent bar that's set by everybody because it's not just oh the the top level organization that you're part of is is mandating that everyone should do this it's a it's a collaborative evolutionary thing exactly exactly nirvana if we're talking about it from an API point of view but you acknowledge this isn't it's going to take years to get there. This is, I mean, oh, even yeah. with the fast iteration, I mean, it takes time, right? Absolutely. And there's a lot of stuff that we spoke about in the board meetings that I haven't done yet, just on my team. You know, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of things to do, a lot of progress to make. It, it's not easy. You know, I, I did the extreme case at the beginning. Uh, but even if you take it slow, it's still not easy. You know, you're getting buy-off from the bottom up on a, a top-down governance decision, it's hard, right? And what I always what I always say is just just start. You don't have to do the whole thing right now. Just take a step. That the Great Wall of China wasn't, you know, it was built one brick at a time, uh, and that's that's kind of how you get there with uh, with governance like this. Is just do a little bit. So, how many are you maintaining new versus legacy APIs as part of your your team's work? I get the luxury of doing greenfield development. So uh, all new, all new. I run two teams, two cloud native teams uh, at Tyler and, and they're both new builds and we don't have to maintain uh, maintain any of the legacy stuff. We do integrate with, with legacy APIs a bit and we've come up with some, I don't know if creative is the right word, but uh, forward-thinking, modern approaches to integrate with the, mm-hmm. with the legacy uh, APIs. You know, because what I don't want to do is build some code hard into the app that integrates with old stuff that ties, that holds us back from bleeding edge, really. Um, so we do things like webhooks to be able to integrate with, with legacy, right? So you put in a, a middle tier. Uh, between the new stuff and the old stuff that knows how to listen and translate uh, to legacy apps. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fun. It's a different, different adventure every day with all the different types of, of APIs that we get to use day in and day out. Yeah. But you have this toolbox of, of serverless, you have gateway, you have protocols, rest web sockets, you have, API design on top of that, like consistent API design. You have ways of testing, uh, securing, and applying that governance as part of it. So that as a toolkit right there, and then your CI CD and those little tests and can run in the CI CD. So that toolkit right there really gives you a lot when it comes to building and iterating upon legacy systems as well as new systems and just doing things in different ways. Cause it's very modular and very, uh, you know, it just allows you to set up these facades that, that, that can quickly evolve. Even if, like you said, you have to build the web hook middle layer, um, to, to, to deal with some of the legacy things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I forgot to mention earlier, uh, which is a really good point to mention, is that the building out the open API specs with governance and uh, enabling the, the dynamic test generation is, is awesome by itself. But another huge, huge benefit of doing it the way uh, that we do it so we can just immediately turn that around and provide that as uh, end user documentation, right? It's it's fully documented API specs. There's uh, full descriptions, full summaries, full example uh, requests and response bodies. Uh, what are all of the possible uh, status codes that I can get from from every endpoint? Uh, you know, Postman generates really nice documentation straight from that as well you know so i don't have to do anything for that right the the documentation that we're using to drive the dynamic tests is also the end user documentation it's self-documenting code really at its best yeah that's a i mean another another thing you're not having your team's not having to do so it feeds into the productivity but the business value because it explains what what each unit of business value that you've defined with a serverless, a gateway, endpoints, and these contract and security and governance tests. And you know it's consistent. Your documentation is is as consistent as possible because you've got that governance layer. Absolutely. That's powerful, man. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But I know, I mean, it's it's not a destination. Like this is a continued journey. You just got a pretty powerful toolbox to be able to continue in your journey and keep figuring things out. So... Impressive. So, um, would this be like, would this be possible without the cloud? Would you, do you feel like it would, it, I mean, even with APIs, it's, it feels like serverless is a big piece of this and, and your gateway approach is a big piece of this. It is. It's hard for me to answer. I'm full cloud guy. So, <laughs> you know, asking me if anything is possible without the cloud, my immediate answer is no, always use the cloud. Uh, but think, thinking about it pragmatically, uh, I do actually think you could do a lot of the stuff that, that I've done uh, in, in a an on-prem or hosted solution, right? It, it's just a little bit more loopholes that you have to jump through. Uh, you know, with us being in the cloud, we don't have to deal with uh, firewall settings, uh, reverse proxies to get back in, right? Because the generated tests are actually hitting the deployed version of our APIs. That's how we can validate that everything works the way that it's supposed to work. Uh, but if we were going down back down to on-prem, we would either have to be running that from inside of a VPN or you know reverse proxying down uh, into uh, into the on-prem servers, which is one of the things that I really like about serverless is that I don't have to deal with networking. So don't ask me networking questions because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not in that game anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it back to the productivity aspect is it really starts shaving off these things that I know we want to embrace all embrace kind of a DevOps reality. And I'm, I'm, I'm a full stack developer. I can, you know, I can do the networking, but man, if I'm not doing it on a regular basis, like it's, it, it, it doesn't stick. And I like sticking, doing one thing well. And it, and it, and it really helps me, uh, I think the cloud has helped elevate what I'm capable of. So I agree. You could do it without it, but it really helps, helps elevate you to a new, new heights. Absolutely. So what's, uh, 
what's the future hold? Uh, what's what's interesting that you want to be working on, um, technology wise or 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 anything? What what are you going to play with next? This is the year of async for me. So I'm I'm going heavy into event driven architectures. Started messing around with EventBridge in, in AWS and quickly realized the potential of something like that holds. Uh, makes makes everything easier. I think I think my team and, and the, the stuff that we work with is at the at the point now where we understand REST, we understand synchronous, we understand orchestrated workflows, and, and now it's time to do it better and drive it off of events. Make make things faster. Uh, you know, use the web sockets to come back. You know, this year I'm going to start learning. Uh, a bit about how to document async APIs, right? I feel pretty confident in my ability to do open API specs, but I'm not at all that way with yeah. async APIs. And I know you guys uh, are working with them quite a bit, so I can know I can expect some things uh, from you to make it easier on me to learn and, and make things better that way. But well, that's, that's the big thing. You know, I want to drive the event-driven architecture is going to help drive user experience uh, really from all ends. I can tell someone when it's done. I can make things done faster uh, and and drive. I can fan out, scale higher. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, we're we're looking for feedback from you too. So you know, this is a feedback loop for the roadmap as far as what's what's needed. Because the goal is to make you know the. API design and building phase as seamless with between open API and async as possible so that you can, you can design APIs and do everything that you're doing with open API right now with async API. And so we'd love your feedback on the, the, on the testing, on the security and the governance aspects of, of that, um, collections, you know, how do you store, how do you capture? Cause WebSockets is potentially going to have a lot more data, you know, um, when it comes to it. So what does a collection look like? What is the history? Um, how does that work in the pipeline? I think there's a lot of things that we we can learn from you as far as how to how to, uh, you know, catch up with 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 the journey you're on as far as uh, designing and delivering, but also delivering high quality APIs. So that's good to hear because async is I feel like when I'm on the async train right now, it feels like for me, 2012, 13 with Swagger, form, you know, open API, formerly known as Swagger. It was a really kind of exciting time when it came, when it came to APIs and mostly for the things that you're talking about. It was community learning, learning from other people, seeing what other people were building and doing. And so I'm really interested in that at an async level when it comes across the API lifecycle and seeing what folks like you're doing with, with testing and governance. So on, it sounds like you're building a lot. You're moving pretty fast with these APIs. I mean, other than the documentation, I wanted to get your, your take on, cause, cause Postman has a visualizer tool on it. How, how do you visualize all the APIs that you're building and see them? Or do you, I mean, I'm not expecting that you do, but, or how would you like to be able to see your infrastructure across? Is there, is there ways that you, you imagine visualizing how APIs work or, or the scope of APIs? That is a hard question to answer, Ken. Yeah. Uh, I think I you can actually come at it from a lot of different ways. 
one thing I, I really like the way that Twilio and Stripe do their API documentation. And it's it what I like about it is that it, it's business process driven. Uh, you know, documenting a, an API in a microservice, not necessarily business process driven. These are the operations that you can do uh, to this type of entity in this domain service, right? But, uh, you know, you don't really get value in, in that until you say, okay, well, if I like to use uh, Stripe as an example, if I create a charge, I then can go over to the payment service and create a payment on it. Uh, or I can, you know, do a callback and and do whatever there. So it's starting to to chain the different business processes together, and represent those in, in collections and documentation. I think that they kind of tie it tie it up because uh, there's nothing more overwhelming than seeing everything that you can do but not knowing what you should do. Mm. So uh, paring it down, even duplicating some stuff, right? But giving it uh, contextual. Uh, data around it. Like, this is what you should use this for. Here are some use cases that that we have that we use these for and, and documenting that way. Yeah, no, I like that. And I mean, there's, it was, it was kind of a loaded question. I knew, I knew, I wanted to see where you would take it because there's different directions you can go when I ask folks that, you know, some people are like, like, actually there's, there's a, a friend of mine, Arnaud in, in Paris. He's, he he's done visualization tools like mapping at, from open api it'll generate like a graph view of your entire landscape some people think i mean there um some people would take it and and just build on the documentation meaning how do we make the documentation richer more meaningful have more details but then you took it an important d- step in connecting that with business value and making it so that 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 documentation reflects business value. And that's important to me because that that means not just developers are looking at documentation down the road. Maybe it'll take time. I don't expect everyone in business groups to read read our docs. But if it's if it's getting easier to read and it's more meaningful and more purposeful for business, that means you're gonna have more eyeballs on on the API landscape. And that's another way to visualize and see things. And then you touched on events as well, you know, as part of async and documenting. And I think being able to see the the meaningful events, not just the resources, or as you said, the microservices. So I would love to, you know, keep talking with you about, you know, those type how to how to see, you know, uh, at the at those levels. I think it's really important the business value, the the events that matter across Tyler Tech. So, yeah. Um, I didn't have a question there. So one of the things I'm working on getting better is, is asking specific questions. I'm actually going to read books on becoming an interviewer. So I'm going to have you back on the show at some point and I'm going to be a much better interviewer, but I also like, you know, wrapping it up with those, those long winded, um, as, as we're coming into the close of the the hour here, um, I want to get out of the tech, you know, I want to understand you a little bit more. What occupies your time when you're not building these cool APIs and, and playing with, uh, uh, async. I have, I have two girls, a three-year-old and an almost one-year-old. Uh, they, they take up, they take up a lot of, a lot of fun, fun time. Uh, that, that's not work. Uh, they, they get my after work hours before work, I'm a big runner. Uh, I really enjoy running. I've had a, a long, uh, running career. Uh, that's, 
that's usually how I start my day. I usually run, work, play with the girls and wife. Right? She she's obviously very important in yeah. that equation yes, as well. Yes. Make sure I say that. Good, good catch, good catch. You don't want to leave that one out. Uh, that's a very important one. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's been great to catch up with you on this. Um, I owe you some cycles looking at some of your collections and thinking through because um, one, I got to finish that webinar series and get you some of the other details for that organizational level governance that I've been working on. Um, two, I want to learn from your generation, the some of the collection generation, test generation stuff you're doing, because that definitely took it in in a direction that I wasn't fully prepared for. Um, and then we'll definitely be reaching out when it comes to some of these other things. But thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, Alan. Absolutely. It's been, been great. Great talking to you, Ken. Okay. Well, um, and I'm going to try to get you back. Maybe not be a full, full show, but we're going to be doing some other segments um, and diving into some specific areas. And you've covered probably four or five of those areas. So I'm probably going to hit you up for some some smaller conversations. So thank you very much. Yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. All right.